Well, morning, everybody. Welcome back from all your fall break travels, far and near, and uh, thank you so much for praying for us. We traveled 17,000 miles on fall break. We went to the other side of the globe, to Chiang Mai, Thailand, and between air and land, it was somewhere around 17,000 miles across 10 days. Hung out with some of our own Eagle folks. George Jensen was over there, Mary Shum, who lives half of her life over in that part of the world. And uh, Tim and Tina Swearens had just left. And one of the common uh, responses I got as uh, I was introduced in different settings was just how grateful the people who are involved in the ministry over there are for Eagle Church. And just to know that you are having such a significant impact in another part of the world that you maybe don't have a front row seat to, we were privileged to have a front row seat to the work that's going on through an organization called Remember New. So Remember New is a ministry God's raised up to deal with child sex trafficking in our world. It's been going since 2003, was kind of the original leading in the last 12 or so years. It's now in 12 different countries, and uh, Chiang Mai, Thailand was kind of the starting point for the ministry, so it has its longest tenured work going on there. And there's a million children being sold every year into child sex trafficking. And Remember New, its goal is to end trafficking at all levels through prevention. So to prevent the kids from ever entering in to the trade. There's a lot of ministries doing a lot of great work in child trafficking. Many of them are in rescue type settings where they're going in and pulling the kids out who are already have been sold. A Remember News focus is in let's prevent them from ever entering into it. So you say, well, what did you guys do when you were there? Well, we would go to a place like this. So this would be a home. This is in Mechem, and there are 17 girls living in this home in Mechem, and they would have been considered at risk for entering the trade had they not been placed in a home of refuge that, remember, New has a set of house parents there, a Christian couple who are raising their family and raising 17 other girls with them. And they're providing spiritual grounding, and they're providing an education. These girls are able to go all the way through high school, and some of them off to university. They're providing vocational training, food, shelter, and clothing. So we would show up. They were on fall break as well. So kids were excited just to have, I think, some other folks to play and interact with. So we'd play Uno. That's kind of a universal language game, right? Uh, Uno and uh, Jenga and uh, spoons. And then the girls would break out the fingernail polish. We ended up going to like a local store and buying a bunch of fingernail polish. And Lily and Kaylin and Kendra were full on for uh, an hour plus probably in each of the visits, just painting the girls' nails and getting to know them that way. And then at some point, they'd kind of all get together and they'd sing a couple songs for us. Um, we didn't know the words they were singing, so I'd ask the person next to us, tell us what they're singing about, and they're usually there kind of some worship songs that they've put together, a way of saying thanks to us. And then they'd ask me to share uh, from the scriptures, kind of a little devotional message of some sort, and then there'd be a translator person, and so it got kind of used to talking in sound bites. So if I'm a little sound bite oriented today, um, just bear with me. I'm getting back to just talking long sections in English versus before they kept telling me, Pastor, too many, too many words. Pastor, shorten up. It's like, yeah, that's how folks at Eagle want me to do. Shorten it up. And you shorten it up. Um, so those were kind of the, the context of our days that we were working in. So we would visit various homes, 
and we would try to encourage the girls. There are boys' homes as well. Obviously, we didn't do nail polish at the boys' homes. Did a lot of other physical activity. I learned how awful I am at soccer. So they're very, very good at soccer, and they enjoyed showing me how good they are and how not skilled I am. They kept telling me, you kick wrong, you kick wrong. I said, I want to kick right, teach me. Oh, you're beyond teaching. And then they would just, we had a great time just hanging with the kids, being with them, and we'd share a meal together, and we just kind of traveled around and got to see up front, close and personal, the ministry that's going on. And now many of these kids have been going now for 10 plus years, so they're graduating from high school, and they're heading to university setting, and there are six graduates right now who are entering into Bible college. How cool is this? I found a burden. I felt like the Lord placed a burden while I was there to pray for spiritual leaders to be raised up from these boys' and girls' homes. Less than 1% of Thailand has a knowledge of Jesus. If you walked, if you lined up 100 people, maybe one out of the 100 would have an awareness of who Jesus is and an interest in following him, as well as in Cambodia, equally low percentage. So you can imagine the kind of the need, the spiritual need. I mean, we would drive hundreds of miles all day long, and we wouldn't see one local church the whole day. So just picture trying to do that in the United States. Could you go anywhere in the U.S. driving hundreds of miles through cities and villages and not see a local church? Well, in, in Thailand you could, and you'd see dozens and dozens of Buddhist temples. So the spiritual need was very strong there. And I just began to pray, Lord, raise up some spiritual pastors and ministry leaders, some boys and girls who will stand and lead in your church someday. And how encouraging was it by the end of the week? I heard there were six of them who are going to be going off to Bible college. And just think, wouldn't that be an amazing? Isn't it just like Jesus that at some point, they're probably most of them going to go into church planning work, right? Play Pastor Obvious for a minute here. There's no churches really around, or very few. So if they're called into ministry, they're probably going to go start and plant a church there of which that'll begin to thrive and grow and become a community and think, wouldn't it, isn't it just like Jesus that many of the pastors and church leaders' stories are going to be, uh, yeah, I was a child who was at risk to being sold, and I got linked up with a Remember New Home. And some people built into me and helped me come to know Jesus. 90% of the kids who were in the homes come to know Christ as their Savior. 90%. And so they come to know Christ, and can you picture their testimony? And then they got a vision for God using their life as a leader, and then here they are, uh, a pastor in Jesus' church, having come out of that background. It seems just like Jesus to do it that way when I was thinking and praying on that. So last Sunday morning, here's what our worship gathering looked like. So there was the worship team, the top picture there, all kids from the home. So they were there early. I got there early like we all do a little worship rehearsal beforehand. Well, there's their worship rehearsal. How inspiring is that, right? Those are boys and girls from the homes there, and they're their worship team. And then we got about 120 or so of us who are gathering, and they get all the kids together, and they gather in one of the larger homes in their, like, meeting area, and they have a church service every Sunday morning. And so after some time of worship, they ask if I would share from the Word a message. And as I was praying up to that morning and that service, I felt like God put on my heart a word from Jeremiah 1 about the God who lifts up. And while at the end of that message and the days that followed, I sensed God saying, hey, that wasn't just a message for the community in Thailand. It was a message for the body at Eagle. And so we're pausing on our parable series, and we're going to go to Jeremiah 1 this morning, and we're going to talk about the God who lifts up. So open up your Bibles with me, Jeremiah chapter 1. 
pull out your apps. If you haven't fired up your app yet, there's some way you can get the message notes on there so you can kind of get into that routine. If you haven't downloaded the app yet, permission given, go ahead and download it. Even during the message here is fine. And then just there's a note section somewhere in there and we'll keep those, try to keep those up to date for you week to week so you can follow along and take notes that way. Jeremiah chapter 1, so the context of Jeremiah, do you know Jeremiah's name literally means Jehovah lifts up? And this morning I want to talk about the lifting of God in the midst of his calling. Have you experienced the lifting in the midst of the calling? For Jeremiah, he was in a setting where he would need a strong lifting because the calling, the assignment God was giving him, was in the category of overwhelming. God, there's no way I could do this. God, you've got the wrong number. God, you need to find somebody else. Anybody been there? Anybody been there where God comes to you and says, i got something for you to do. I've got a task for you. I've got an assignment for you. I've got an appointment for you. And your immediate response is wrong number, find someone else, overwhelming, too big. And that's Jeremiah's because he is a man who's been called to minister in a setting called exile. A couple of years ago, you long-term eagle folks, you remember we went through the journey through the Old Testament, and we talked an awful lot about exile through that journey. Exile is the place where God transplanted his people 700 miles east into Babylon. Why? Because there was a long history of rebellion towards God, so often in our lives, God uproots us and transplants us and moves us 700 miles out of our context in the hopes of turning our hearts back to Him. For some of us, that's our stories. We have our own exile stories where that was our turn back to the Lord, was a time of exile. Well, they deported the, most, the least influential of the peoples. So those who they could most dominate and oppress, they kind of deported them and they could handle them. Well, Jeremiah was one who was taken up and sent away with this group in exile. And so he becomes a prophet. That's the assignment he's given. In the, I want you to think of exile as how the calling of God comes to least, the least likely people in the most unexpected of places. The least likely of people in the most unexpected of places. Like this young man I met named Ploy. One of the days that we were working, Kendra and I and the girls, we wanted to have a work day on the grounds there, so they assigned us to the garden, and we were uh, breaking apart some garlic bulbs, kind of breaking them down. They had grown them there. They had dried them there. Now they're ready to use them for cooking. So Ploy was the head gardener that we met, And while we were snapping some garlic, his English is quite good, he began to tell us his story. He's 39 years old. And I said, Ploy, how did you come to know Jesus? And he said, well, 12 years ago, my mom was living in Bangkok, and she had a friend who became a Christian. And this friend came to his mother and began to tell her about Jesus. And over the course of a year or so, she gives her heart to Christ. And then the mom says to her son, Ploy, Ploy, I want you to learn about who Jesus is. And so it took, he said it was about a two-year journey. He was raised, his words were a spiritist, which is kind of rooted in Buddhism, but just worships all kinds of things, a lot of kind of the appease the evil spirits, try to, you know, gain favor from the good spirits type of system. And so he says he was raised in a spiritist environment. So the whole concept of Jesus' grace was kind of overwhelming to him, that God would love him in Christ, period. He didn't have to earn or work for it. And Ploy began to talk about that. So 10 years ago, he became a Christian at age 29. He's 39 years old now. 
Well, along the way, he met his wife, they got married, and they became house parents at one of the Remember New Homes. So each home has a mom and a dad in it who live there, who raise their kids with all the other kids, and who become spiritual leaders for those groups. By the way, if that's one key way we can pray, let's pray for those house parents. Can you imagine? Well, parents, imagine just it's, it's a lot of work as it is raising our own kids and helping keep them headed the right direction and multiply that out times 15, 20. Some of the homes have 30 girls or boys in them and feeling the responsibility to try to keep right a good spiritual environment and headed in the right direction. They have a lot on their plate. Well, Ploy and his wife were house parents. And then Ploy said um, there was a, a night where they were driving the car and got in a car accident, he was driving, and his wife was killed. And so Ploy said, uh, obviously I'm not going to be a house parent anymore, because now I'm a widower and single, and so he went to the leadership and said, hey, um, I'm going to find something else to do with my life, and they said, well, don't, don't leave, how about you become our head gardener? And so that's how Ploy ended up in the garden itself at 39 years old, I asked him, I said, hey, you know, what are you, are you, are you planning on staying here? What you, he says, well, I'm only here as an in-between assignment because God's called me, here's his phrase, God's called me to go back to my village that I was born and raised in, which is on the border of Thailand and Laos. And if you know that area at all, it's a very, very unreached and very difficult area. He says he was raised in a village where there are nine other villages around him. There are approximately 10,000 people in this area. It's kind of in the Hill Tribes area. And he said, there's not one church in all the villages. The one church that was there, Ploy said, closed years ago. And he said, God wants me to do something about that. I said, really? I said, what does that mean? He said, well, he put himself through two years of kind of a Bible college online system the last two years on his own. While he's gardening there, he's putting himself through some Bible training. He's been trying to work hard on his English because he recognizes he's probably going to be involved with the English-speaking world to get some help and support. And so he is going to leave next month to go back to his village that he was born and raised in, and he's going to start a small group Bible study in the hopes of that being the beginnings of Jesus' church in that village. God's calling comes to the most least likely in the most unexpected of places. How about ploy? Here was just snapping garlic. I mean, well, a few, it was probably 30 minutes after we were into this and I was kind of getting his story, this gentleman come, walks up. His name is Eric Wiederholt. He's from Virginia. He's an agricultural scientist, kind of background major, went to schooling through all that, did a lot of work in the ag industry in his years in Virginia. He and his wife, Shannon, and their 13-year-old son have just relocated full-time to Chiang Mai, Thailand. And he is Ploy's mentor. So I meet Eric. And I said, well, Eric, I said, tell me your story. Like, how did you get here? And what's the background on that? And he began to open up about just the sense of God wanting something beyond just the suburban life that they were living in Virginia. And he got intersected with Remember New. He found out they have a self-sustaining garden system. That's the behind him. You see those tanks behind him over his right shoulder? Those are filled with uh, fish tilapia fish, and those are aquaponic systems, so the waste from the, the water there goes over and fertilizes the plants and the whole self-sustaining garden. So they have a, they, basically they grow all their own food, and that's part of the philosophy. And so Eric is the one helping provide some training to someone like Ploy and the other local Thai people to know how to continue the self-sustaining garden, and he wants to continue to do this in places like Cambodia and others. 
So Eric began to tell me his story that it was in 2011 that he and his wife, Shannon, they said they lost their seven-year-old daughter. She contracted a strand of E. coli, and he said she never recovered. And they went through the process of burying their seven-year-old child. And you could tell from just the way he told the story just how deeply uh, it still impacts them. And I was sitting there, I mean, here's Eric sitting here, Ploy's sitting here and telling the story. Isn't it just like God to place Eric Viderholt through what he's gone through his brokenness four years ago to be a mentor to Ploy, who's just working through the journey of losing his wife two years ago and becoming not just a gardening mentor, you following me, but a spiritual mentor. Because the calling of God comes to the most least likely of people in the most unexpected of places, Ploy and Eric. And then as the days went on, I met people like Candace. Candace is a Recent grad from Ohio State University, my condolences to all you Buckeyes, you know, the Nittany Lion and Stephen Smith. You notice how Stephen's sporting his Penn State shirt today. He's so, he's just got like the joy of the Lord about him in a new way today because it's been so long since Penn State cheered in this way. But she's from Ohio State. She's a recent grad. I just meet Candace. This was in one of the, they were doing like a baby shower for one of the workers and Candace was there and I just walked up and I introduced myself. And uh, Candace is a business major. She just graduated. During her junior year, she said, there was a missions conference, and she got linked up because she was a part of like a Campus Crusade crew ministry there, and they brought her to this uh, missions. They had a bunch of booths set up. Remember New had a booth there. She went up to the Remember New booth. She met some people there. She learned about the ministry. She got linked up, and now, instead of taking a full-time job in the corporate world, which she just turned down, She's taken a three-year assignment to serve in Chiang Mai, and here's her, I said, what are you going to be doing here? She says she's going to help the graduates, the seniors, transition. Those who can't go to university, some of them are not able to go to university. They don't have the, the intellectual capacities to be able to get into the university, so she's going to help them with basic job skill training, vocational training for the next three years and helping them transition that. There's Candace, Ohio State University grad. That's what she's going to be doing for three years. Least likely people, most unexpected places, God's calling comes. And then I met Olivia. Here's Olivia with our own rock star, Mary, which, by the way, every place I went around, um, they would say to me, oh, you're part of Mary's church. <laughs> yeah, that's it, Mary's church. Because Mary Shum is a flat-out rock star. She's a rock star here too, but she's really a rock star in that part of the world because you realize all of us who've been linked up with Remember New, you know how it started? Least likely person. Here's Mary working the corporate world, insurance industry. In 2009, she goes over to Thailand and gets exposed to what's going on in this part of the world to do something about sex trafficking. In 2010, she has a conversation with Carl Ralston at a Starbucks in Thailand. And from that conversation, all of our lives have been impacted. Because she has faithfully said yes to whatever God wants, us, wants her to do. She spends most of her vacation in this part of the world. And many of you have been impacted by that, as well our family was this past week. And she's standing with Olivia. Olivia is a pediatric NICU nurse, graduated from Oregon State. She decided, you know what, I'm going to leave my NICU work at Oregon staff in that area in Oregon, and she's going to spend, she spent the last year, she's just wrapping it up, she spent the last year serving in Thailand, providing like a physical assessment, a health assessment of each of the children. Because God's calling comes 
to the least likely of people in the most unexpected of places. This is just like Jeremiah, and this isn't just unique to Olivia or Candace or Eric or Ploy. This is some of your stories or about to be some of your stories because this is what happens when you get linked up with a God who cares about the whole world. This is normal Christian life stuff. Uh, the more, by the end of the week, I thought, this is, how people, this is what people who follow Jesus do. This is why George Jensen is spending some of his time and skills and energy in website development, not just for local North American work, as important as that is, but for the work of the whole world. This is normal Christian life stuff. This is God calling to a Jeremiah. And immediately our response can be perhaps like Jeremiah's, who says, God, I think you might have got the wrong number. I think it's too big. I think it's too overwhelming. And... Here's where Jeremiah finds himself. Verse 4, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Underline, I formed you. Underline, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Underline, I set you apart. I appointed you. Underline, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Four phrases. Notice how God's calling comes in his identity. So God begins the call by affirming the identity. Why? Because God knows ultimately our actions flow out of our identity. Understanding of who you are really shapes what you're going to do. Which, by the way, if you're frustrated about some behavior in your life, you know the starting point for dealing with change is to go back and ground yourself in who God has called you to be. Who are you? Who has he said you are? Your identity. Ground yourself in your identity and then watch. Start, you'll start seeing the outcomes. Your actions begin to be changed. If you just focus on action and behavior, you're going to be consistently disappointed. If you just try the sticky note system, just don't get angry at this, just stop worrying and all that, that's not going to hold it. What you go back to is ground. Who are you? Who has God called you to be? That's where he starts with Jeremiah. Say, hey, Jeremiah, before I formed you, God, you're, he's saying, hey, I created you. We're made in God's image. He's not made in ours, which flows into I knew you, which means God knows you better than you know yourself. You want to get to know yourself better? Get to know God better because you're made in his image. He's not made in yours. The more intimately you get to know who God is, the better understanding you have of who you are. That's why the greatest gift, remember, New can give to all these children in these homes is an understanding of who the God is who made them and who shaped them. Give them a vision for who God is. Gives them a vision for who they are. And that's the same way with us as parents today, same way with our children and student ministry around here. Why do we spend so much time and energy and effort around this? Because we want our kids to get a grounding and God form them and God knows them. You know, knowing is a precursor to loving. You can't love something that you don't know. God saying, I know you is a precursor to experiencing God's love for you. Saying, hey, Jeremiah, before I formed you, I knew you. I know you better than you know yourself. I formed you, I knew you, and I set you apart. I set you apart for what? I set you apart first for myself. Our calling first is our calling to Christ. That's salvation. We're called to Christ. And then we're called to become like Christ. That's discipleship. Called to Christ, salvation. Called to become like Christ, discipleship. That's a calling, setting apart for God's purposes. Hey, Jeremiah, I formed you. I knew you. I set you apart. And then fourthly, I appointed you. I've got something for you to do in this world. Because every aspect of our discipleship, hear this now, has to have a contact point with the brokenness of the world around us. Otherwise, it's kind of hijacked in the middle. The outlet of our disciple, true discipleship 
is contacting the world around us. There's got to be an intersection with what's going on in the brokenness and darkness of our world. Otherwise, it's not true discipleship. And so he said, Jeremiah, I formed you, I knew you, I set you apart, and I appointed you. And the appointment is to be a prophet to a people in exile. An overwhelming task seems like a mountain of responsibility, seems like there's no way he could accomplish it. So Jeremiah's response is, which I love the humanness of his response, verse 6. Oh, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I am only a child. Anybody come down with a case of the I'm onlys before? Huh? I'm only a student. Uh, I'm only a wife. I'm only a mother. I'm only a husband. I'm only a father. I'm only an accountant. I'm only a plumber. I'm only a doctor. I'm only a nurse. I'm only a, you finish it. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not spiritual enough. I'm not old enough to do what you're asking me to do. Lord, could you find someone else to do this? I think you've got the wrong number because the task you've assigned to me, have you noticed this with God? He comes and his calling often comes and places before us a vision for what he wants us to do that is beyond our own ability to accomplish it. Do you know that's purposeful with God? If you're looking for an assignment that you feel comfortable fulfilling, you're probably looking in the wrong place for God to issue it. Because God's going to issue an assignment that's beyond our own abilities to accomplish. Why? Because it's going to thrust us into a place of dependence on him. And by the way, who's going to get all the glory when the stuff gets done? Because he's going to get all the glory because you're going to know, well, there's just no way. There's just no way this stuff could get done if it's up to me. Jeremiah, as he is going to eventually fulfill his calling, and then the rest of the book shows how his living lines up with his calling. And all along the way, it'd be the sovereign Lord, the sovereign Lord, the sovereign Lord. There's not a lot of Jeremiah in the story. It's all about the sovereign Lord in the story. Same holds true with us. So often our response, it's okay. God's big enough for our human responses. It's okay to kind of whine to God at times, complain to God at times, wrestle with God at times. I just find it's easier if you just surrender sooner rather than later because he's very patient. He's very persistent. Eventually he's going to have the trump card and he's going to win. So the sooner you just kind of lay it down and say, okay, Lord, you win. What do you want me to do? the better the relationship goes. You can keep wrestling it out, but you know what? I just think, surrender. Confess your I'm onlys. Confess your I'm not good enough, smart enough, strong enough, spiritual enough, whatever enough. Confess all that out and then watch how the Lord responds to Jeremiah's confession of I'm only. He says, verse seven, but the Lord said to me, do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you. Underline that. I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So notice how God takes the Jeremiah's response, I'm only a child, and God says, hey, don't say I'm only a child. Move it to this. You are a child of God, period. That changes everything. You're not just a child, which by the way, they think Jeremiah was around 14 when this calling was issued. So lest some of you who are in younger circles or all the work going on in the loft or all in the lower level, huh, 14 years old, God's calling up. Or I was with a whole bunch of young people last Sunday morning, the message, and just looking out at a whole group of 12, 13, 14, 15-year-olds, and God's calling upon them. I'm only a child. It says, no, nope, don't stop there. You're not. You are a child of God, and that changes everything. Because God plus anybody is a majority, Period. So Jeremiah, you might feel all alone, but God plus you, majority. 
Notice how God's not hindered by Jeremiah's reluctance. Aren't you grateful God's like that? I'm grateful God's not hindered by my reluctance at times to embrace the vision and the calling. But he just worked with you where you're at. And he works with Jeremiah right where he's at. He says, hey, you know what, Jeremiah? I hear you're, you're whining, complaining, you're overwhelmed, you're I'm onlys. Now, notice he just says, now you're going to go and you're going to speak and you're going to accomplish what I want. So let's get moving. <laughs> Not a lot of dialogue there with God. Just, hey, he's still on plan A. Hey, Jeremiah, I've called you, which is a great picture. This whole thing started with God. Notice it's not Jeremiah running, wandering around looking for what he's going to do. It's just God calling and saying, hey, I pick you. I've got something for you to do. I've got an assignment. I've got a task. First, I formed you. I knew you. I set you apart. And now I've appointed you. And I hear you've got some reluctance. It's okay. I'll work with that. Let's get moving. And it's a picture of the absolute sovereignty of God in the midst of our calling. And do you see the lifting that occurs in the midst of your calling? The first sense of lifting we get in our calling is grounding ourselves in our identity. And maybe some of you who've stepped out and begin to walk in your calling in this way, this morning you just need to hear this again, that God has formed you, that God knows you, that God has set you apart, and God has appointed you. He sees, he knows, he's with you. He hears your cries. He's not abandoned you. Just keep moving. Keep going. Keep pressing in. And this is where Jeremiah finds himself. And then God gives him two images to sustain. The lifting and the calling comes with two pictures. The first one, verse 11. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? Have you noticed this with the calling of God that often you don't get to see where step two, three, and four are going in the calling? What's Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure, sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. If you find yourself praying for the roadmap on God, if I say yes to this calling, if I obey this leading, if I step out in faith and do this, where is this going to go? If you're praying about the roadmap, here's the response God often gives. Say, hey, I just want you to step out and we'll be in this together, and then you'll see where this is going. What do you see, Jeremiah? Jeremiah has no idea what saying yes to this is going to involve, other than his life's going to be pretty hard. But beyond that, he has no idea, and God doesn't seem to be very, very interested in giving him a lot of details on the front end. So I think the relationship with God can go a little bit easier and can be a little more in step with one another if you just kind of begin to embrace, hear this now, embrace the soil of uncertainty that you find in living out the calling God puts in your life. You're not going to see where it's going to go. You're not going to see the turn around the bend here, left and right. You're going to know how long. You're not going to know where that's going to lead. You're not going to know where step two, three, and four are going to go. But you're going to know this, that God formed you, that God knew you, God set you apart, God appointed you, and he is with you. You're not only a child, you are a child of God, and that will be enough. So embrace the uncertainty, and that's how roots of faith grow deep. Your faith can't grow without uncertainty. The soil of uncertainty deepens the roots of faith. That's why often our life with God, have you noticed how much of our life is spent in places of uncertainty? And you go, Lord, why do you love that so much? You just like a few windows of certainty in your life, would you not? I appreciate that. 
when God just gives a little clarity of certainty. But don't get used to it. You're going to spend far more time having no idea where this road's going. Why? Because God wants you to embrace all that uncertainty and to walk by faith and not by sight and let those roots go down deep to trust and depend and rely on Him. Because generally, the roadmap doesn't produce a lot of roots of faith and trust and reliance on God. But the uncertainty does. So he says, Jeremiah, what do you see? And then he gives him his first image. I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. Now, we don't have a lot of almond trees in Indiana, so here's a picture of one. Would have grown up all around Jeremiah's area. You see the blossoms there, and you see the fruit of the almonds grow. So that's the image he's pointing to. Say, Jeremiah, just as you're walking around and you're seeing all these trees blossom in a fruit. Verse 12, the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly, for I am watching to see that my word is fulfilled. So he says, hey, Jeremiah, look at those almond trees. See those branches? See how they bud and flourish and produce fruit? Every time you see that, here's what I want you to hold on to. Just as surely as that almond tree is going to produce fruit, so is my word. I'm going to be faithful to fulfill my promise in and through you. Look at the almond tree. Almond tree, the grounding, the lifting, and the calling for you, Jeremiah, is you are going to see my word fulfilled in and through you. How certain can you be of that? As certain as you see that almond tree continuing to blossom and bear fruit. That's how certain you can be. And then the second image he gives him, which gives him a picture of maybe the difficulty coming, verse 18, today I have made you a fortified city, an iron pillar, and a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. So the first image is one of an almond tree, which talks about the fulfillment of the promises of God. The second image he gives him, an iron pillar and a bronze wall. Now, if you were Jeremiah and you heard that, what kind of a picture are you getting right here for your future? You're getting a picture that what you're about to step into, there's going to be a fair amount of resistance coming your way, and you're going to have to stand firm. You're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to persevere. You're going to have to endure. You're going to have to not give up. And notice how the text says, I have made you. So lest you wonder where your strength to fulfill your calling is going to come from, God says, hey, Jeremiah, here's what you rest in. I'll give you what you need to carry out the assignment I've given you to carry out. In this case, I want you to look outside and see the almond tree. Just as faithful as that tree flourishes, so are my promises of my word going to flourish in and through you. And then see the iron pillar, see the bronze wall. That's how strong and firm and steadfast I'm going to cause you to stand. Because there's going to be a many a day where you're going to want to give up. Have you noticed that when you step out and begin to live in the calling of God? You begin to step out and kind of fulfill the assignment he's given you. Have you noticed that when you come across some difficulty, there's a pull to retreat that you have to fight through? In Jeremiah's case, he grew up in a town called Anathoth. That's in verse 1. It says his hometown was Anathoth. I think Anathoth in the story is the pull to want to retreat back to old self, old life, and old ways when you come up against some resistance to living in line with your calling. Have you felt the pull to go back to Anathoth? If you haven't yet, just keep living in the calling of God. You'll feel the pull come. And what you're going to need in that moment is iron pillar and bronze wall type perseverance. 
Because if you yoke yourself up to outcomes, if Jeremiah is yoked to outcomes in his calling, do you know how easy it is to get yoked to outcomes in living in the calling of God? If you get yoked to outcomes, you're going to retreat to Anathoth really quickly. Because in Jeremiah's case, he's known, by the way, later as the weeping prophet. Tells you how it went for him, huh? He wrote the book of Lamentations, a book of laments, meaning what? He spent a large part of his life in some very, very difficult settings, not seeing tangible fruit like he thought he was going to see. Now, he did see some. He did see the almond tree bud and flourish, but it wasn't like he, he pictured, and it was a whole lot more iron pillar and bronze wall because God wanted him yoked to faithfulness, not to outcomes. You want to experience a lifting in the midst of your calling? Yoke yourself to faithfulness to the calling not to the outcomes of what you think it should look like. So it was towards the uh, end of our trip, we went to a hill tribe. And the hill tribe visit, here's an image. The hill tribe area is where most of the girls at risk are. Hill Tribe would be those um, villages up in the hills. This one has about 500 folks living in it. Most of the homes are built on stilts there for the flooding. Most of the homes are 10 foot by 10 foot and eight people or so living inside of that. Very poor, very impoverished, obviously. And so many of the girls who are most at risk come from those kind of environments. And Carl and the leadership team have discerned, built great relationship with some of the village leaders. And so they took us up to one of these villages. There's Kendra. And she was probably within the first 10 minutes, we were at this particular hill tribe village, a 108-year-old woman walked up to her. Didn't say a word to her, just walked up to her. We're not quite sure why she fixed upon Kendra, but she did. She walked up and simply grabbed Kendra's hand. And that became her personal escort through the Hill Tribe Village. Obviously, the oldest living member of that village, Hill Tribe, at 108. She went through the hills just fine. It was really, really warm, but you couldn't tell by her attire. Um, but it was very, very warm, and then she just began to walk. And then the young lady on the other side, towards the end of the walk, her name is Nuna. She's a girl in a remember new home because she was on fall break. She was in her village. She's from that village. I think Nuna's around 14, 9th or 10th grade, somewhere in there. And Nuna began to tell us the story of the village area. That there was a day when you would go to that village and you wouldn't see any girls between the ages of 6 and 18. Why? Because they were all sold. But now, several years later, there's Nuna, and she said several other girls in the village like her living there because, remember, New came, because they built a relationship with the village chief. And now the village chief contacts the leadership at Remember New when they find a girl who is at risk to help prevent. Do you see the prevention? Stop the cycle before it ever starts. It was a great picture of that. But Nuna's story, she began to share with us that her desire is she wants to graduate from high school, of course, and she's praying for an Ephesians 5 husband because she wants to build an Ephesians 5 family and go right back into the middle of that village and live as a beacon of light in the midst of those 500 people. There's one Christian family in the whole village. Nuna wants to be the next Christian family. How inspiring is that? 
at 14 years old, that's the calling of God coming on a young life. It's saying, here, I've formed you, Nuna. I've known you. I've set you apart, and I've appointed you. And Nuna's response is, Lord, I'll go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. She's come to know Christ. She's embraced a vision of God for her life. And now she wants to go right back into the setting that we would look at and be a very difficult setting to live in. Why? Just like Jeremiah says, because God's making her an iron pillar and a bronze wall and an almond tree branch. He's going to see that word fulfilled. And I left driving away from that village so encouraged. Why? Because the Spirit of God at work in a young lady like Nuna who's going to be a light. And can you run the clock out on that? I can see 10 or 15 years from now, it wouldn't surprise me if Nuna's married to the local pastor in that village who's building a local church to help reach that area of the world. It'd be just like Jesus to do that. That sounds an awful lot like Jeremiah in exile to me. The most least likely of people in the most unexpected of places. And it doesn't have to be a calling to the other side of the world. We're all, as people in Jesus, we're called first to Christ. That's our salvation. And then we're called to become like Christ. That's our discipleship. And the point of Jeremiah 1's calling is the lifting of God in the midst of our calling. You see that at some point, there has to be a contact with the broken world around us. Not just on the other side of the planet, right here where we're at. This is Allie King working in the inner city with City Life. This is Dave and Don Rose doing something about the brokenness of young girls' lives at Teen Challenge, right? This is Adam Talent down at Indie Alliance. This is us as a body saying, hey, we're going to do something about the brokenness and lostness of our world. Why and how? Because we're going to be a people who respond to the calling of God because God still calls today. He's still calling He's been stirring in some of your hearts. And what's that stirring look like? Ephesians 2.10, we've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works that we've been appointed in advance for us to do. Do you know your Ephesians 2.10 purpose? Are you living in light of that calling? There's nothing like it. And your discipleship is hijacked until there's the Ephesians 2.10 purpose fulfilled in a contact point with the brokenness of our world. And that was some of the driving force. And why would Kendra and I load up our girls and go on the other side of the planet? Because for four or five years, we've been praying about in the own formation of our family to think, you know what? Discipleship, missions, next generation. The center point of all of that is something like that kind of experience. To get a long way from Zionsville and to see the bigger world that we're in, the spiritual lostness, the depth of darkness, yes, but to see what's even deeper still, that God is at work in the deepest and darkest and most difficult places of our globe. And how is he at work? He's at work by calling a bunch of Jeremiah's from the midst, almond trees to be raised up. I think of our gathering as a bunch of almond trees here that God is raising up and his calling still comes today. And he says, hey, I know you. I formed you. I set you apart. I've given you my grace, my spirit, my salvation, my word. Look what I've given you. I've given you a body of Christ, a wonderful church family to be a part of. And now what? I've appointed you to do something, that there's a work to be done in this world, that there's brokenness to be engaged, there's darkness to be encountered. And you do that how? Like a bronze pillar and a fortified wall and an iron gate. You stand firm and steadfast. You don't give up. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Normal Christian life. That's like the Mary Shums, right? 
Just like the Eric Vederholtz. Just like the Allie Kings. Just like the Dave and Don Rose. Just like many of you serving in many different places around here. We give our one and only life for what purpose? To say yes to God. And then all the results are His. And most likely the assignment He's going to give us is way beyond our ability to accomplish and do anything about. So let's make a covenant together that though we may be struggling with the assignment, that at the end of the day we say, yes, Lord. And then we'll leave the outcomes to Him. Let's pray. Jesus, thank You for the many wonderful people serving in this body, through this body. Thank you for the front row you gave Kendra and I and Lily and Kaylin this week to the impact of a local body in Zionsville saying yes to Jesus for 24, 25 years now. Thank you for that. Help us be faithful. Raise up in our midst. Raise them up, Lord, more spiritual leaders. Yes, Lord, from our own body, raise up pastors and missionaries and spiritual leaders in our world today. Raise up doctors and nurses and engineers and business leaders to make a difference in all their settings, that, that, that we'd hear the call, that I formed you, I knew you, I set you apart, and I appointed you. May we be clear with the appointment. May we discern it clearly, and may you find us faithful to live in light of our calling, in Jesus' holy name.